Hello and welcome to this episode of the PPC Chat Roundup podcast of the Twitter discussion that happens on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. GMT. I'm your host, Anu, and um, I use this platform to share not just expert, but also my ideas and considered best practices, best practices even, um, about paid search, especially automation, paid media, and the direction the digital industry is going into. Um, So yeah, if you want to keep up to date with my tips and tricks in the industry, or if you even just to get my favorite script of the week, like, comment, and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram on my handle MindSwanPPC um, or just to see snippets and quotes from our previous podcast why don't you follow uh, my dedicated podcast Instagram page at ppcchat underscore roundup so we have today we have the lovely Julie Bicini um, lead us on the topic of audience assumptions and how it can impact your PPC efforts and this is definitely a very important important topic um, uh, you know as it really ties in with um, another one of my favorite things um, to do with paid media which is um, about the data, about looking at the reports and looking at what the data shows you. Um, because, yeah, if you don't know what the data is saying, you're just making assumptions and that is never good. And um, as, the, as the saying goes, when you make assumptions, you make an ass out of you and me. Um, so, yeah, so let's not make, let's not assume anything uh, and let the data speak for itself, I say. Um, and, yeah, let's see what our experts experts are saying as well. And then we have Julie um, yeah, saying hello and thank you all for joining me today. We are going to be talking about audience assumptions and how it can impact your PPC efforts. But first, how are you all doing? I imagine um, at least most of America, <laughs> well, the, the winning sides of America are quite happy with Joe Biden um, being a president. So for me, I think that's a good decision. And I do congratulate the US um, for that move and um, getting uh, Trump out of office. Um, Steve Hammond replies, oddly enough, I'm procrastinating from trying to build a tight audience targeted campaign. Julie replies, I'm doing okay here um, in Philadelphia. No more political ads, mailers or calls. And that is very welcome. And it's also a gorgeous day. So she's going to take our puppy out for a nice long walk with the family after the calls. Cameron Karras goes, I'm okay. Had a brief moment of peace Sunday. Still hectic with, with work. Michael Fleming goes, enjoying the open windows and fresh air, warm air. First time in a while. Glad I could join today. And before we get into um, the questions, um, Julie um, actually introduces the topic saying audiences are such an important and growing more important tool for PPC. We tend to think of them as monoliths, though, and um, that is not really the best way to do it necessary as the baseline. But allowing us allowing for differences makes us better. For example, I span several target audiences while being not quite like the others in them. Mom to an elementary schooler and Gen Xer, I share qualities with other parents of eight-year-olds, but I skew a lot older than most of them. Um, she continues, does this matter? I think it does, even if it is just to understand and have clients understand not everyone who checks your persona boxes will match that you envi- what you envisioned when you created the persona. This is what we are going to talk about today. So making sure that you read what the data is telling you, making sure that you know, your assumptions are still correct and you're working towards them. Um, and yeah, make assumptions, but prove them. Um, don't work off just the assumptions, but keep editing towards your data is showing you is going to be the most of like the replies of probably all my questions <laughs> or all the questions even. 
And then Julie takes us to question one saying, um, how do you use audience targeting in your PPC on search, on social? Um, Julia Vice answers says that's um, kind of a big question for social. It's about interests, behaviors, and lookalikes of app users and store visits. And sometimes I retarget them from other platforms using UTMs. She continues for search. It's about keywords. And you all know how I feel about heavy negative keywords. Um, then affinity or in-market layered on with a soup soup con of retargeting of of youtube viewers um steve hammer replies audiences are bedrock for me i've had um, to constantly revise my tactics as the targeting options change it's definitely not as simple as find the product select in market and profit um julie replies uh, to the question saying audiences play a much bigger role on social i use interest custom lookalikes in their various um, forms of on platforms for search audiences come into play more frequently for retargeting always set audiences to observe and then incorporate if something is if i see something good um julia had hadn't finished with her answers going um with her answer to question one saying omnichannel can be really fun this way like um geofence your um like geofence your display campaigns around each billboards you buy then retarget off the display viewers get to people in real life kami Karis replies and ppc is a lot of audience observation before targeting, no assumptions, just data until there's enough data for bid adjustments and final targeting. My kind of girl. Um, Julia Vice then, uh, yeah, Julia Vice replies to um, Steve Hammer where he had said, audiences are bedrock for me. I've had to constantly revise my tactics as the targeting options change. Julia replies to write in market for toys will bring you a bargain seeker and the person who only wants the latest hand-painted Melissa and dog toys. Um, Steve replies, I tend to get destroyed for pure in-market. It seems logical, but I think by the time the system tags them, they're on their sixth visit to a competitor. Uh, Julia replies, pure is too generic unless your product is super specialty. My travel client, for example, should not be wasting their spend on cruise or holiday unless the audience applied uh, is high income, high intent. And then we've got um, Amit Cabra replying to question one, saying for search, it's all about those keywords, having a solid negative keyword. Listen for social interest groups, lookalike audience of past purchases, um, Facebook and Instagram engages, etc. Um, and then, yeah, we've got, um, yeah, Steve Hammer then continuing his answer to question one, saying my biggest success has come from looking just upstream of my product and finding intent there, as well as custom audiences that combine some search with competitor site visits. And then we've got Steve Gibson replying to question one saying, I don't really do social for search. I treat keywords like mailing lists in direct mail. Audiences change the nature of those mailing lists. So I'll treat those audiences very differently to how I treat non-audiences. And then Julie goes on to question two saying, how do you determine who should be part of the audiences you target? Does this differ on search or social. Um, Julia Vice replies to this saying, start with why's always. Why should someone be, um, with this behavior or interest or intent or employment care about my product or service? Why um, would they smash it? That's your exclusion. Oh, why would they hate or smash it? That's your exclusion. <laughs> 
And then um, in reply to question one, uh, Michael Fleming goes, does anyone still create separate R L S A campaigns? I found myself going away from the extra campaigns and just relying on observation audiences and automated bidding to adjust accordingly. Julia Vice replies, I used to, but then I ended up in the wild world of single keyword ad groups with like 40,000 campaigns. Wow. Um, why triple the work when you can just observe and adjust? That's very true point and very good tactic. And um, yeah, in reply to question two, Steve Hammer goes, I do a lot of narrow targeting, especially B2B. If they follow an industry group, there's their prime for one example. Um, it's so important to go beyond just what you do and get into what your customer does with the other 23.99 hours of their day. And then we've got um, Julie answering question two, saying, I start with what the client brings to the table. The more data, the better. Yes, my kind of girl. Um, and then do my own digging into historical data and competitive landscape. Look for blind spot or underperforming demos. This applies more heavily to social. So yes, guys, look at your data. Let the client bring their data and then do your own research as well. Yeah. Yeah, extra plus plus points, A plus on that answer, <laughs> Jimmy. Um, and then, yeah, we've got John um, Kagan replying to question one saying, I duplicate ad groups and campaigns and segment them by audience so that I can control budget flow to more qualified versus less qualified groups. Um, he continues his answer to question two saying, A lot of black magic and behavioral analysis. And then we've got um, Julie giving another answer to question two, saying, when you find underperforming demos, I want to know, could they perform better or are they just not the right fit? This is important to figure out. Um, and then Amit um, Cabra then goes on to um, answer to question two, saying, we start with asking our client who they think their audience is and then get as much info from the data they have to confirm their notion. We start a bit wider with targeting, then narrow down. Steve Hammer then um, gives us another answer to question two, saying, exclusions can be massive but dangerous. Pull out in college and you might eliminate the person that's a performer doing a nighttime MBA class. Steve Gibson replies to question two saying for search definitely past visitors then I'll play around with different lists as observation and whichever lists are producing interest results interesting results I'll get deeper with I'll go deeper with. Uh, Michael Fleming replies to question two, saying my main use case um, lately has been two clients who sell products where they want B2B, but searches skew B2C like lighting. It's helped to be able to add audiences like business services to the mix. Interesting. Tim Halloran replies to question two, saying my gut response was that it depends on whatever levers I'm given, but I find that I'm discovering new audience tactics all the time that I hadn't thought of. Um, even though I had them at my disposal, I was told something this morning about lookalikes that I never knew. And he continues, also, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation this year with server-side cookies becoming more commonplace. I'm kind of excited to see how the things shape up. Uh, and it comes to cookies, I feel like it's all just so skewed because it depends on whether the customer um, accepted, accepts it or not. Or am I talking totally way out of my depth here? To be honest, audiences is not my specialty, but I'm all about look at the data. Um, but yeah, sometimes the data might be skewed. So be careful with that. Julia Weiss replies to question um, two saying a research, research is super important, but you also need lots of sources. We definitely need what the client has, but also what biases they might bring with it. First party must be used in conjunction with Comscore service and of course, behavioral. So yes, don't just look at one source. 
Um, and then, yeah, we've got um, Julie replying to questions, uh, to, uh, Julie replying to Steve Hammer's um, answer to question two, where Steve had said, exclusions can be massive but dangerous. Pull out in college and you might eliminate the person that's a performer doing a nighttime MBA class. Julie replies, okay, so this is a classic client convo. How much do you want to spend to hit that person when most of the in-college people are not a good prospect? I would look for other ways to capture that persona. And yeah, Steve um, agrees with that, saying, yep, H works much better there. And then we've got um, Julie going on to question three, saying, do you develop demographic profiles or personas based on customer data? If so, how do you do this? Um, Daniel Vardy um, gives his answer to question two, saying, using a GA and channels analysis, if it exists, to see if um, we can generate any lookalikes. For sure, the customer match lookalikes are one of the most important and impactful. So getting with the clients to see what they have. Julia Vice replies to question three, saying, um, look at that data. I'll always look at that data. I'll always chair anyone that says look at that data. Um, and she continues, see what people are looking at while your ads play. Are they looking at makeup? Are they streaming on online games? Um, these are very useful interests to apply to other platforms. Um, Julie Bettini replies to question three saying, I try to get my hands on as much customer data as they can give me. I find that clients often have wonky views on who their actual customers are. At least they don't know um, that there are certain significant um, sets that are not what they'd say if you asked. Um, I'll reply that, I'll read that answer again. So she says, um, I try to get my hands on as much customer data as they can give me. I find that clients often have wonky views on who their actual customers are. At least they don't know that they have certain significant sets that are not what they'd say if you asked. Um, and then, yeah, John Kagan goes on to um, answer question three, saying yes, but we do it off three sources and run them in case they defer. Data from CRM GA website and who the brand thinks is the right customer. Um, Julie replies to question three, saying, I think I then cross-check their sales and lead data with the demographic info I can get from platforms, GA, etc. Then map it all out. What assumptions are spot on and which are totally unknown? Start efforts on more nuanced um, efforts. Julia Vice replies to question three, saying the same is true with your Twitter campaigns. You'll see your interests and the results, but also you're also reached. There's good data in there. Um, and the, yeah, we've got some nice responses from um, Julie's answer where Julie had said, I try to get my hands on as much customer data. Um, I find that clients often have wonky views on their actual customers. At least they don't know that they have certain significant sets that are not what they'd say if you asked. And Daniel replies, I think it's important for lead gen to get not all the customer match leads to create lookalikes, but the qualified leads. We saw that cleans up things, garbage in, garbage out. Um, and then yeah, Julia Vice replies to that saying too right do all our clients do all our clients do lead scoring no but we do what we can also for products differentiating between customers who buy during sales and promotions only versus those who buy at regular price the demo differences can be huge for this um and then yeah it just keeps continuing julie goes um had a client that was certain their best demo was the 25 to 34 age range they bought the most but only during major sales the consistent purchase 
purchases. Uh, purchases at regular price, usually us ladies in the 45 to 55 age range. Julia replies, there it is. Performance can also validate overall activities. Like if you want millennials, but older people are visiting your shop, you clearly aren't doing what you need to do to get millennials. It's a validator, not just of what works, but what could work. Um, it's time. It's that time of year. So many people might fit the profile except for one thing. Will they wait for the sale and just build a wish list to be released to the world on Black Friday? And then we've got we've got Julie going on to question four, saying, "Do you have ways that you verify that your assumptions about your audiences are correct? Does this vary by search or social?" Um, and then we've got Julia Vice replying to question four, saying, "We look at performance and." and post campaign surveys to validate hypothesis um steve gibson replies suck it and see for search though if i were doing social um, um you've got to start with some assumptions you can't advertise to everybody usually john kagan replies if it performs well then it is right um and then yeah julie brittini replies to question number four saying i always look below the surface to see if there are golden data points just waiting to be discovered. Again, cross-checking who is interacting with the ads against targeting characteristics and then who buys or converts in the same way, then test like crazy. Ryan Bennion replies to question 14, um, I feel like that is why I'm in this business because of the instant validation or gratification that comes from the audience converting. I think it's a long-term play. If the audience is continuing to, continuing to convert for months, it's a prime audience for you. Um, Daniel Vardy replies, I trust more social insights than search and audiences in social are more important for us to get right. Julia continues to answer question four saying, going back to my personal example, asking questions about things we might have missed in the original targeting that is being revealed in who converts, looking for subsets that might explain and see if they make sense to target more substantially. Ryan Benning replies question three saying, I pull it from a few areas. Hopefully you can get some good demographic data from customers via Google Analytics, ads, etc. But developing personas comes from testing audiences are found and tested in a social. Um, and then Julie goes on to question five saying, if you're doing retargeting, um, is it based on the assumption that people who did not complete the desired action simply got interrupted or does it allow for the fact that some might just choose another option? Um, Ryan Bannon replies to question five saying, qualify them. Don't retarget everyone who visits your homepage unless your pool is super small. Um, target those who land a few layers deep, whether that's category or PDP or for B2B that could be landing on an actual lead form, find people that are taking action. And then we've got Steve Hammer replying to question five saying, I love the choose your own adventure type of retargeting. Start broad and let them self-select what the next action is based upon what they click. Nothing better than the data, um, than the data a prospect tells you themselves. Nothing better than the data a prospect tells you themselves. Love that sentence. Um, Kami Karish replies to question five saying, um, retargeting is based on the common knowledge that it takes multiple touches to close a sale. People look, look again, check their options come back again seven to 13 times on average some especially with expensive products or services julia vice replies question five saying depends on the product for us for my restaurant client retargeting is about returning and purchasing again my public sector clients are all about changing behavior lots of equals to lots of reminders my b2b clients need a long time to decide different per audience 
Um, and then, yeah, to in reply to Ryan Bennion, where um, he'd gone, qualify them, don't retarget everyone who visits your homepage, target those who land a few layers deep. I like that tactic. Um, whether that's category or um, a product display page or for B2B, they could land it on an actual lead form, find people that are taking action. Um, Julia Vice replies, counterpoint, retarget everyone on your homepage. If you're a farmer, put some actions outside the logging for people to interact with. Um, and then Johnny replies, yeah, just Johnny does medium. That's a nice <laughs> name. Uh, one of the frustrations of working in farmers, so little thought is put into content, pre-logging or just in general. Julia replies, it's a tough nut to crack for sure. Clients tend to give up and think, why bother? It's all behind a login. Front page playable and interactive apps can be a lot of fun and can help start conversations with um, MDs, which is often the whole point of farmer campaigns. Um, and then Julie, Julie Bicini replies to question five saying, I always prefer to have a tiered retargeting effort with the most resources going to those who are more likely or showing more signs of likeliness of converting. I'm amazed at the number of one size fits all retargeting approaches I see. Um, and then, yeah, Julie goes on to question six saying, do you have an example of a time when you made an audience or demographic discovery that really surprised you? Steve Gibson replies to question five saying, I've written 90% of a blog post where I look at this from a unique angle. It depends on this bit on the business model and where, where they quit in the funnel and the likely reasons why they quit. Um, and then Steve Hammer replies to question five saying one of the uh, issues with retargeting is that it shows such massive row on a last click basis that it seems like it's a rival, like a trivial expense Nespresso would be better served convincing me to tweet about their product rather than blindly showing me what I just bought. Uh, Michael Fleming replies to question six saying not surprising to me, but ultra important to the client higher ed clients was recently retargeting the whole U.S. on purpose while 61% of enrollees lived within 30 miles of campus. That seems like a waste of money. Mm. Anyway, Julia Vice replies to question six saying, I'm a bunch, lots of weird little pockets of high performance geos that don't necessarily match the audience demo. Work from home has changed a lot of the landscape. Steve Hammer replies to question six saying, it's something we've developed into a process. We look for interest um, in our converters to know incentives to offer. Don't offer a Starbucks gift card incentive if your customers are Neiman Marcus shoppers. Um, Julie replies to question six saying, I had a client years ago that was in the construction industry. They thought their best customers were school districts. Turns out it was churches. <laughs> Interesting. Plumbing HVAC clients swore they served all of four counties nah it was all it was mostly within 10 miles of their audiences um 10 miles of their offices even um and so yeah Julie then goes to the last question of the day saying what was the worst audience assumptions you've had to deal with how did you overcome it yeah assumptions always leads to mistakes um yeah cami then um, replies to question six saying lots in market audiences converting worse than general audience the time we learned one age group um made purchase decisions in an industry predominantly owned by another age group and visitors to competitor sites were the worst performing audiences in another sam replies to question five um although i didn't see any, any other answers from from sam today um anyway he goes um i think you need to allow for 
other possibilities for both possibilities, frequency capping on initial general campaigns plus some sequencing can usually weed out the non-viable, non-interested prospects pretty efficiently. Julia Vice replies to question seven saying, I had an SMB client who was utterly convinced that former retired law enforcement was the thing for their business. It wasn't. It was just high performing ad copy. The audience was not related to law enforcement or any particular prior career. Steve Hammer replies to question seven, saying the worst is often the search terms that clients think are um, clients think are used. A telecom client might type five G, but so will a lot of other people for very different reasons. Um, Karis replies to questions um, seven, saying consistently, when the client thinks highest income earners are their client base, when it's something like top 30 to 50 percent only julie replies question 17 i think there's often a top x percent bias in what or who clients think by their stuff be it household income education level job title level um, there are a lot more people outside the c-suite than it is than in it that buy stuff data usually helps change ideas on audiences exactly always look at the data that's going to be the summary of what i'm going to say um but i also um give um, our last answer here from Bart Ryan Bennion to question seven, um, where he goes, everyone is our customer. Not true. You waste a lot of ad spend trying to reach everyone. The counter, however, if you have a ton of pixel data, you can trust, you can target broad and let the algorithm find the people most likely to buy. Those are two different arguments. Um, and yeah, that's where we're going to leave it to today um and yeah i hope you um enjoyed that and um yeah i'm, I'm very excited by this answer from sean ellie <laughs> although he might not be he goes bummed i now have a two-hour planning meeting directly over ppc chad will be interested in checking out the recap each week so yes tune in to this recap um every week um and yeah i hope you've taken some great takeaways my big takeaway as I've said from the beginning, data. Data is important. Always look at the data um, and the data will tell you where to be targeting, where, you know, whether you're talking too broad, whether, they, whether you're targeting too tight um, and then yeah, change it from there. So I hope you found this uh, chat useful and taking some great takeaways from it. Um, if you have any questions or want to discuss um, this topic or any other topics or especially about automations or scripts or B2B advertising, please do get in touch with me um, at hello at mindswan.com. Um, but yeah, remember um, for your campaigns of businesses to glide smoothly, there's a lot of hard work needed beneath the surface. So keep your swans kicking. Bye.